with the S&P 500 stock index, affectionately known as SPX, fell 2.88% for the week. Ba-boom. Closed at 4204.31. That means it's down 11.79% from the beginning of the year. And congratulations, ladies and gentlemen. We are officially in a... Correction. Correction. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, or uh, again, good morning for the first time, unless you, somebody else is good morning to you. Well, good morning anyway from the personal wealth coach. This is Jake McClure, and on the line with me I have... Jeff McClure. We didn't say our names together. Just we're, well, you we're could not say, tempting fate. We could say, on the line with us today, we have Jake and Jeff McClure. McClure. Wow, we did it. Yeah, we can we say it. our names. We're, we're getting right. good at this. Something else has to change to break our supply chain of unison. Uh-oh. going to have to happen. Don't challenge worse. Yeah, there's always worse. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach. There's always better, too. Um, well, I'm not saying you should find something better than the personal wealth coach because we think we're pretty good. But there is always better. Uh, we are to talk to you this week about, and every week about economics, about the market, about what's happening in the world and what it means to you. But before we do that, we have to disclose, which is like saying open, but talk about legal stuff is very rarely open sounding. So we're going to call it not closed instead. So here are our disclosures. Number one. We don't pay for this radio program, nor are we paid to do this radio program. We do, however, the firm, the personal wealth coach, does buy advertisement with the studio in partnership to promote the radio program. They also do their own promotion of the radio program. Um, the personal wealth coach is an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. But this radio program doesn't offer investment advice. Investment advice is in the best interest of the client. It's fiduciary. There's privacy restrictions. And it's really hard to do that on the radio. So what do we do instead? We're giving educational information. We're going to talk to you about what stuff means and how to prepare for things like what is inflation and how do you prepare for it. Um, stuff like that. Uh, but not what you should buy today or sell today. That's, you should probably not be taking that from the radio anywhere. Okay. You want to give the next one? Well, let's see. I what did say we're SEC one? registered, so you can talk about how they don't. Okay. We are, we are registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the, the personal wealth coach as an investment advisory firm. But that doesn't mean the SEC, which is short for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Right. Very short. Approves of us or disapproves us or anything else. It simply means that they are our regulatory agency. And it doesn't mean we're special because we're registered with the SEC. It wait, just means. Wait, your wife is my mom and she said I'm special my whole You're life. special, but it has I'm nothing to do with special. the SEC. You can be uh, in my there, special person club too if you'd want. There is a rule that the SEC has 
that says if a, an investment advisory firm, and that's what we are, has less than $100 million under management, then the state regulate them. And if it's over $100 million under management, then the SEC jumps in there and does the regulation. And that's all it says about us. Yeah. Um, you, we are, as Jake said, providing education, not investment advice on this radio program. You're going to do and the information that we use to, the information we use to provide that education has been obtained. This is passive. We have obtained it from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to its accuracy or completeness. Now, we, one week, we've been missing a disclosure. What is it? Prices may be higher or lower when bought than when sold. Uh, prices may be higher or lower before you buy them than at the time you buy them as well. Share prices. I, we, we're not recommending you buy anything, but we, it's always in there someplace. You know, that share prices may be lower or higher when sold than when bought. Peanut butter prices may also be higher or lower before or after purchase. If you intend to resell the peanut butter, please do not open it first. Mm. Yes. We well, have some more we're actually in pretty good shape on peanuts. Peanuts are good. Yeah. Because we are the number one supplier of peanuts in the world. Yes. And we don't have a lot of competition. And one of the main reasons is the rest of the world doesn't eat a lot of peanuts. So that's one of the few commodities that are not being affected by the invasion of Ukraine. Peanuts. Peanuts. Enjoy your peanuts. Now, if, you, if Russia invaded Alabama, we'd be in a world of hurt. A world of hurt? Hurt. Hurt, yes. Yeah, because that would damage the peanut butter crop. The peanut crop. Jimmy Carter Sphere. would not be happy about that. Right. Yes. So we get any other disclosures? Yeah, our email address. Yeah, that's not, I mean, this is opening up for presuming, real. Presuming today is March 12th of the year 2022, you're certainly welcome to send us an email and, uh, a message at either jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com, preferably both, and express your opinion, thoughts, comments, questions, whatever, and we will uh, endeavor to address them on the air. Yes. Now, what happened in the market this week? Am I supposed to know that? Yeah, I, I, one of us is. Oh, okay. Wait. Well, the S and P five hundred. Is there really a market? What? There is. Wait a minute. What are we supposed? Is to there a market for that? Right. Is there? There's <laughs> lots of markets. There's lots of markets out there, and a lot of interesting things are happening, and particularly in the commodities market. But we'll stick to the stock market for a moment. The S and P five hundred stock index, affectionately known as SPX, fell two point eight eight percent for the week. Ba boom. Close at 4204.31. That means it's down 11.79% from the beginning of the year. And congratulations, ladies and gentlemen. We are officially in a... Correction. Correction. Yes, this is the fifth week in a row that the Dow has ended lower. Wait a minute, I'm talking about the S&P 500. I know, I'm just throwing it out there. So we could, we're okay. also in a correction in the Dow. We're in a correction in the NASDAQ. We are so we're in a really, down. really corrected right now. That's what we're well, saying. Well, how does that feel? The, the, eraser, the eraser companies are really happy. Yes. The correction folks, you know, they come in and they correct this immediately. Well, we have in the market. It has now been corrected. It is correct. Remember that little bottle of correction fluid we used to use a lot of? I wonder what happened to those companies. Um, you don't use it on computer screens. I learned that early on. Yeah. I, there was a joke about that, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Uh, it's cruel. Anyway, the uh, S&P 500 
uh, was down a whole bunch, was out down more on Tuesday than it was on Friday. Uh, actually, it created cratered down somewhat lower, around 4,300 on Tuesday. And then it came back up to around 4,200 and stayed there, uh, although bobbing up and down uh, for the rest of the week, which is a good thing. Um, it kind of stabilized I, like that. Uh, we follow another index, and that's pretty in the, in the stock market. It's a pretty relatively unknown index, unless right. you're following us. It's well that are looking at the ind- indices that mutual funds model Follow themselves off of, or, or reading yeah, the I mean, University of Chicago's academic publications. Right. It's a really good index, though. It's called the CRSP U.S. Midcap Value Index, and it provides some interesting contrast because midcap value is the midcap stocks or the smaller stocks in the S and P 500. Value stocks are stocks that uh, are bought and sold generally because they're relatively inexpensive, relatively inexpensive when compared to the breakup value of the company. It's actually more complex than that. We'll just stick with that. The CRSP U.S. Midcap Value Index closed at 2450.62. Now, it was only down 2.11% for the week. And here's an interesting point. It's only down 5.65% year to date. There is a world of information right there. The S&P 500 growth index, which is large cap growth stocks, is down 15.8% so far this year. The mid-cap value index is down 5.65%, So what you're saying you a is lot that about them. When the market is down, that not all of the market is down the same way. And some right. parts of it might even be up. Right. And it's an important thing to note here. Over the long term, as it happens at the end of last month, or month before last, actually, the S&P 500 and the mid-cap value uh, side of the market have had about the same long-term return. So when you have two sets of stocks that have had about the same long-term, we're not talking about 40 years here, by the way, 40-year return is about the same. And one of them is less volatile than the other one. One of them bounces up and down. We, we kind of like the one that bounces up and down less that still that's historically has gotten the same rate of return. So we're kind of, I will admit to a prejudice, or not really prejudice, but a uh, an impression that mid-cap value is better than the S&P 500, but that's okay. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note reversed itself from last week. Last week, you, if you could, well, you may not have been able to hear us last week because we had really interesting technical things happening. But the as the U.S. Treasury note interest rate fell last week, and then it rose this week. Um, it rose about 12% this week, fell about 11% last week. It closed out at the end of the, well, I don't know if it closed. It kept trading. But by the end of the business day, it was at 1.998%. Now, that is very close to 2%, which is sort of interesting. Uh, the 30-year bond, which we don't normally report on, but it's important, rose to 2.357. Why is that important? Because if 10 years is at 2% and 30 years is at 2 point, round figures, 2.4%, that means we have a positive yield curve out there. And a positive yield curve is the way the bond market says, I think things will continue to be good into the future. When a negative yield curve occurs, which is when 30-year 
for example, 30-year interest rates are lower than 10-year interest rates. Actually, it's, you can take it down to five years and other things. That's an indication that the bond market is under the impression we're going to have a recession in the not-too-distant future. And it didn't say in that, even though Goldman Sachs came out and said there's a 35% chance of a recession in 2023. How they know something that far in advance to the uh, to that level of percentage is beyond my comprehension, but I think they're just hedging their bets. The price of oil. Now, of course, nobody cares too much about the price of oil. We record on it every week, and we get very few comments on it. But an interesting thing happened with in, on the way to the uh, refinery this week. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil. Now, that's one of the two benchmarks that's used in the world. It's, used, it's the primary U.S. benchmark for the price of oil in the United States. Uh, North Sea Brent is the primary benchmark that's used for the rest of the world, which tends to be a little more expensive. Um, but the WTI, West Texas Intermediate Crude, fell 5.25% for the week. Ended up at $109.09, $109.09 a barrel. Now, it is up 45% this year. Yes. But the headlines that said oil hit one, what was it, 160 one, or something? One, yeah. Well, they were talking about 130. And then people were saying it'll be 160 by the end of the day. And yeah, silly stuff. And instead of rising, it fell, which we could talk about for hours. But just to let you know that things in the headlines are not necessarily completely lined up with the reality. With what's going on in the real world, which brings us very nicely, by the way, to John's question about stock price crawl. Yes. We have sounds a, like a game. We have to introduce John again. Our Inquisitor John, our most faithful questioner, uh, has sent us two questions this week. Prior to the program beginning, this is, I mean... He's, he does show prep for us, and I really appreciate that. He's looking at articles often all through the week and getting ready. Uh, we appreciate you, John. Thank you. All right, so the first question. You, you want to answer the stock price crawl one? Or do you, I'll, sure. I will read it out for you. Okay. On most financial TV shows, they show a last trade stock price crawl on the bottom of the screen with millions of trade made daily, and the slow speed of the crawl, how accurate are those figures? Not. That was my answer. I can tell you they're very accurate after the market closes. Unless yes. they start quoting the after hours, which many of them do. And then they're just as accurate as, the, as they were before, which is to say not. Um, there's a major delay in those. And if you watch the, those crawls at all, like, I don't, this is part of the reason why I don't watch television is I get hyper focused in on wait a minute they just repeated the same price quote five minutes after they re they said it the first time that is not right and I'll be far more focused on that even though I don't even know what company it is that's being represented on the crawl. There was a time when we had something called a ticker tape back in the 19th century. In early 20th century. And that's how people away from the actual stock market exchange in New York knew what price a stock was being bought or sold for. It was, in essence, a broadband um, telegraph. 
Right. They sent the same telegraph signal across many different wires, and so you'd have people specifically hooked up for it. They'd have to run a special wire to the place that had the ticker tape going. Everywhere had its own special wire going to it. It was like its Mm -hmm. own telephone network. It was a a very, it was a strip of teletype tape. Yeah. And it's kind of got embedded in our brains somehow that that tells us something about the stock market. So those electronic versions of the same thing are just advertisement. They're eye candy. Um, They give you some general idea about what went on a few minutes ago. The percentage of the viewing audience that has any idea what each of those tickers means is vanishingly small, (laughs) extremely vanishingly small. People are sitting and they, some people might look up stock prices based on that crawl, but not very many people. It's just there for eye candy. It keeps you, oh, something's going mm-hmm. on. Something's happening. If, Let's watch that. If, if you really want to know the, the price a stock for which a, a, a stock is being bought and sold moment to moment, you need to spend a lot of money on something like a Bloomberg terminal. Right. So and even, it will be sort of a blur and you you can watch the price go up and down on a given stock and know that you're pretty close to real time. Now, if you really wanted real time trades in a stock, you have to have a computer that's doing the trade. Yeah. Because it's, the tra- the prices change in nanoseconds, literally. One millionth of a second. Right. And people do a lot of trading through their computers on those nanosecond trades. And so the stuff you see on television with the stock crawl going across there is it's an ill elephant or irrelevant or something like that. It's a fig tree in your amalgamation. Yeah. Right. It's an, it's an ill elephant sometimes. So why is the price of oil at home going up when we produce so much oil, we're the number one exporters of oil on the planet and we're we were where we were yeah why why is it that our oil is going up because russia's using theirs well it comes down to this if you're on the gulf coast and you have a bunch of there's two issues facing you if you're on the gulf coast buying and selling oil that's coming from the united states coming from let's just say the permian basin and it's light sweet oil which means it makes a lot of gasoline it's good stuff west texas intermediate coming through it down through there and you've got a decision to make because a hundred thousand barrels of oil just showed up and you got to do something with it. Two issues hits you really hard, really fast. Number one, there is more oil produced in Texas than we can refine on the coast. Why? Because our refineries on the coast of Texas are designed very carefully to process heavy, sour, dense oil who is the one in charge of tasting this stuff no oh, this stuff's sweet oh this is sour this black um sorry sweet oil is light it has uh it has low sulfur content and it makes really good a lot of gasoline sour heavy oil has a lot of sulfur in it and it makes good fuel oil and bunker oil and things like that but it's harder to some it, gas it, it is harder to refine as well yeah and and pension and not pensions refineries are set up to process a certain kind of oil and you can't just put another kind of oil in it and make it work. 
Why are the Texas refineries set up to process heavy oil? Because the stuff under the ground in East Texas, where we used to have all the riches from the stuff you'd pump out of the ground all over East Texas and into Oklahoma and Texas so on tea, before fracking. Black gold. Yeah, that stuff. Is heavy, sour oil. We also process the oil from Venezuela, which is even heavier and more sour. And that's what those refineries do really well. Now, we have some light, sweet processing in Texas, but it's, it's running at capacity all the time. So you got this light, sweet oil that's come in from West Texas. And you have the opportunity to sell it in Texas for $109. But in England and in the Netherlands, there are... There are refineries that are short on oil right now that will pay you $112 for each barrel. And they pay you not when they receive it. They pay you now. That's why futures contracts are so important. They pay you 30 days in advance for the oil. And they'll pay you, hundred. let's say, $115. It only costs you about a dollar a barrel for insurance and everything else to get the oil to Europe. So if so, you could get $114 a barrel if you sell it to Europe, but you can only get $109 if you leave it in the United States. And you're in the business of trying to make a living and make money and sell to the highest bidder. Who are you going to sell it to? You're going to go to sell it. You're going to send it to Europe on a ship. Those of you that are complaining about this, just as a side note, we'll put this in fast. The Pfizer vaccine, Pfizer's a German company. Why is it that the United States was so far, much farther along in the vaccine process and got all the vaccines early on, way ahead of Europe? We paid for them. We paid more money for it. The same thing. And we paid it in a futures contract. That's right. We paid it before they had it. We secured a contract before they had the vaccine completed and said, we'll pay you this much for it. And the Europeans didn't. They dragged their feet and were willing to pay less. And as a result, we got the vaccine. And that's why. So this is what's going on. So the, if the price, if, if Europe is short of oil, and they are, we told you just a few minutes ago that there's a lot of trouble getting oil out of Russia. Europe gets about 40% of its actual oil from Russia, so it's critically short on oil. And the price they're willing to pay for oil went up a lot. And they have the refineries that can handle the oil coming out of West Texas much better than the refineries on the coast can. End result is, in order to keep the oil in the United States, in order to get oil into the United States, we have to buy oil for about $110 a barrel right now to get it in here. Now, if you're paying $110 a barrel for oil and it only makes so much gasoline, that means the price of the pump is going to go up. Now, I want one more thing that I can say, okay? If you go back to 1970s, the early 1970s, when gas was 35 cents a gallon, You factor two things in. One, there's been a heck of a lot of inflation since 1970. There sure has. As a matter of fact, if if the cars had not changed and oil and gasoline was at $3.50, we would be paying almost exactly the same. Well, we'd still be, it's actually more than, it'd be, Three dollars and fit. No, it's about four dollars now, factoring in inflation. So, oil at thirty-five cents a gallon in the nineteen seventies, and oil at four dollars a gallon today is the same price. However, that's hard. The other factor but is coming, and it's a big one. We get four times the mile. The average 
U.S. automobile, and I know that yours may not because we're in Texas and we drive big trucks, the average fleet mileage right now in the United States is 40 miles per gallon. Now, now wait just a minute. A big truck the in av- Texas is probably four times more efficient than a big t- truck in Texas was. I had a 1982 right. Chevy pickup that got eight miles to the gallon. I had it old and used, but it had no, eight miles. No, that was miles downhill with a tailwind. With a tailwind. And, <laughs> and, and most of the time, it was more like six miles to the gallon. Yeah. And if you but got across, a big truck today, it's like 25. The average light truck and car miles per gallon in the United States today is 40, 40 miles per gallon. That means we, but it was less than 10 miles per gallon in the early 1970s. We are getting four times the miles out of a gallon of gasoline that costs about the same thing after inflation that it cost in the mid-1970s. So the price of oil, the price of gasoline really in, in real terms is lower now than it was in the 1970s, which is, I mean, one more thing I'll, and I'll shut up. The chances of that generating a recession, like the price of oil shooting up in the 1970s by itself is pretty close to zero. Yeah. The per capita usage is much, much lower today than it was then. Mm-hmm. What's more, and we talked about Saudi Arabia not playing games. They're not opening the spigots. They're they're not even taking the call when the president is trying to call them, which is rude to say the least. That is that's just rude. Um, it doesn't matter who the president is. You should take the call when he calls you. Uh, that's rude. Okay. So why is it they're not opening the spigots? Well, we've been talking about this for the whole pandemic. We're moving to electric vehicles in the United States. That's a a vehicle use of oil is a major use of oil. It's one of the major big ones. And all of our major car companies from Toyota to General Motors, Ford, Nissan, Nissan's a little bit longer, Subaru, BMW, Mercedes, go down the whole list. Half of all cars will be electric starting in five years. That was a year ago. So four years. What does that mean? It means that there's a very limited time for Saudi Arabia to make some profit because we are moving away from oil relatively quickly, not because it's dirty, but because there are cheaper alternatives. The other thing is, I've read two reports on this. I don't claim to be an expert on it, but I've read two reports that state Saudi Arabia is producing as much oil as they can, and it's under what they claimed they were going to produce because they simply don't have the capacity to pump more oil out of the country. That makes sense. Yep. That makes sense. There, there are stated reason for not taking the phone call by the way is because the United States is not helping them directly in the war in Yemen. So they're not going to talk to us because we're not giving them something to use in the war in Yemen. That that's rude. (laughs) We're about out of time for this hour. This has been The Personal Wealth Coach, and uh, we'll be back next hour with more mindless drivel and useless trivia and maybe some useful diamonds hidden in the middle of it somewhere. Um, But if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice to people of relatively high net worth. Uh, The local phone number is, there's voicemail waiting on the weekends, real life people during the week. The number is... 254-947-1111. You can reach that same number toll-free with a different number at 1-800-914-7526. 
That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can uh, contact us through the contact form. You can email us directly, jeff or jake at tpwc.com. The website has newsletters. You can sign up for them. You can read them. And then we've got the radio programs going back in full length, or you can go anywhere you want for podcasts on the subject that'll have bite-sized pieces. Until next hour. This has been The Personal Wealth Coach.